chapter 11. Now, last week, we looked at Jesus, the triumphant king, who leads us into victory each day. And we looked at the different ways that Jesus would lead us into victory as he walked through the streets. And, and, uh, and as, we, as we ended up, we saw verse 11. And, and it's important for us to look at verse 11. Verse 11, um, Scripture says that Jesus entered the temple. And when he entered the temple, he looked around and saw all things. All right. He looked around at all the things that were around him. Now, that, as I shared last week, that, that term for looking around is not a term that just means, let me check it out. Right? It wasn't just, let me take a look-see. Um, that term for look around is um, an evaluation. Jesus was evaluating the temple. Now, the temple was important. Okay? The temple was important because it was the symbol of God's presence. And as... Oh, sorry. How y'all doing? Got some gum going on there? No, I'm trying to quit. Uh, It was the symbol of God's presence. For ancient Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, the temple itself, built by Solomon, the first one, built by Solomon, when it was dedicated, there was this covenant between God and Israel. And God said, I'm going to show myself off at the temple. And and for all of, of Israel's history from that point forward, even when the Solomon's temple was destroyed, Herod rebuilt the temple because he knew that the people wanted that central place where God would be worshipped. So when Jesus enters the temple, he's enter, entering familiar ground because, you know, he's God. And he understands what's happening in that place. And so when he looks around, he's evaluating how the people of God are worshipping God and honoring him. Now, in chapter 11... If you flip on down to verse 15, we see Jesus returns to the temple. We're just going to look at a few verses here today and and try to break them down. Uh, It says in verse 15, So they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares or stuff through the temple. Then he taught saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now, there are a couple of things that I want us to break down and and look at uh, and apply to our life, okay? There's a lot of a lot of deep stuff in Jesus and his, and his uh, uh, response to his evaluation in the temple. Uh, but to bring it into present-day world, okay? Um, there are things in our life that block our intimacy with God. There are things in our life that block our intimacy with God. So if you're writing down points, number one... There are things in our life that block our intimacy with God. And that really is what Jesus is attacking here, okay? When we look at uh, the way things were going on then, uh, back in Jesus' day, what would happen, this is a a high and holy week for the the children of Israel. Uh, This was a very important season. It was the Feast of Tabernacles leading up to the Day of Atonement and the uh, celebration of the Passover. And pilgrims from all over Palestine, Jews from all over Palestine would make their way to Jerusalem so that they could get to the temple and make sacrifice for their sin. 
the Day of Atonement, so that their sin would be forgiven. And they would gather there. There was only one temple in Israel. Y'all realize this, right? One temple. And it's not like we have churches on every corner here in Hampton Roads. You know, we have churches. We got, we got this room. We got that room. We've got uh, Calvary Presbyterian right here. Uh, you go down the road, you got Kinsville Pres. You got Kinsville Baptist Church. Uh, you, you got churches all over the place. But for the ancient Israelites, there was but one temple. They had synagogues other places, different gathering places, but there was only one temple. And so they would make their way to the temple because that was the centerpiece of God's presence. And in this high and holy week, they would come to Jerusalem so that they might worship at the temple and experience intimacy with God. All right, so that's the big picture. They were coming to experience intimacy with God, to worship Him, to honor Him. But there were things that were blocking their path into the presence of God. All right, so get the picture. People walk in and, and probably from the southern steps. All right, so here's the way the temple looked. There was this there was temple on Mount Moriah. Okay, so the temple was a building on Mount Moriah. But surrounding the temple was this big wall. And you had the western wall, and you had the southern wall, and the eastern wall, and the northern wall. Okay, and at the northern wall was where the temple was. Most people would gather at the southern steps. And that leads through the southern gate or the southern entrance through the court of Gentiles, through the court of women. Now, the Gentiles and the women couldn't go into the presence of God, but that's the way it was. Sorry. Uh, but that's the way it was. They couldn't go into the temple. All right. Uh, but so they would gather in these big open spaces called the court of Gentiles and the court of women. And, and so what would happen is the people, the pilgrims, would come to the southern steps. Now, the steps there on the southern steps you had several narrow steps and then one big wide one. Several narrow steps and one big wide one. Several narrow steps and one big wide one. And the people would come, and in ancient practice, before Jesus was born, what would happen is the people would get there to the southern steps, and they would stand on one of the wide steps. And whenever they stood on one of the wide steps, they would sing a song. And it wasn't just any song. It was called the, uh, one of the Songs of Ascents. That's Psalm 121, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, I think. Something like that, okay? So they would, they would sing all these songs. So they would walk up, narrow step, narrow step, wide step, let me sing. And that, that first song of ascent was a song of praise to God. It was preparation for intimacy with God. So they would sing that whole song, and then the priest would say, let's walk up some more narrow steps. Narrow step, narrow step, narrow step, wide step they would sing the next song of ascent. Narrow step, narrow step, narrow step, wide step. They would sing the next song of ascent until they'd finished all the songs of ascent. All, there were as many wide steps as there were songs of ascent. And, and so this, before Jesus was uh, born in Bethlehem, the practice of the Jewish people was they would, the pilgrims would come, they would go up these southern steps and they would sing praise to God because they were being led by that worship into intimacy with God. They would go through the Hulda gates. Now, at the southern steps, there's this big wall, and then there are two gates, two archways, and they're called the Hulda gates. And they would pass through the uh, Hulda gates, and then they would go into this tunnel-like place, kind of a, um, uh, if you go to the Tides game, and, and where all the beer is, I mean hot dogs, you know, underneath all that, uh, all the building, it's, so where that is, that's kind of what it was like there, the southern wall. It had this, had, had this roof over it, and, 
and there were tables all around and a colonnade. And, and so they passed through and people would be selling stuff there. And, and then they get through that colonnade and they go out into an open area called the court of Gentiles and on into the court of women. And throughout the court of Gentiles and court of women before Jesus was born, what they would do is the, the Gentiles and, and the Jewish people would stand out there and they would pray. And they would be talking to God because they were preparing for intimacy with God. They were preparing their hearts. The Gentiles, that's as far as they could go. And so that was the place of their powerful worship of the living God. And they make their way to the temple, up Mount Moriah, into the temple. And there in the temple was the place of, of deepest intimacy, the place where they would make sacrifice, and the priest would make sacrifice for them. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he looks at the southern steps, but he doesn't hear any songs. And he passes through the hall of gates, but he doesn't hear any prayers. Because there were things blocking that intimacy with God. A bunch of tables where people were selling stuff. Now, they weren't just selling any stuff. They were selling doves and cows and goats and chickens, not chickens. But they, they were selling these things because those were the things were, that, that were used for sacrifice. Jesus was not upset that they were selling turtle doves. He wasn't upset that there was an exchange of money going on. He was upset that there were these tables that were blocking the path into the presence of God. You didn't hear any songs being sung because these tables were on the southern steps, the wide steps. And instead of songs of praise to God, you heard people say, turtle doves, two pence, turtle doves, two pence. Pilgrims would have to go around there. They weren't singing songs of praise to God. They were, they were trying to get around the tables. They'd go through the hold of gates, and, and, and instead of hearing prayers being lifted unto the living God, you would hear, I got a cow over here for five shekels. I got a goat for three shekels. There was no intimacy with God taking place. There was no worship taking place because it had been replaced by... These people selling stuff. There were barriers to intimacy with God. Now, here's the thing. You and I have barriers that block us from experiencing intimacy with God. You've got you to figure out what those things are. Jesus will help you figure out what those things are. Remember verse 11, Jesus looks around, and as he evaluated the temple, he evaluates you and me as the temple of the Spirit of God. He's evaluating us to see where our worship is. How, what are the things that are keeping us from experiencing intimacy with God? Now, this past week, I spent a, a lot of time evaluating. And, uh, and, and, and you, last week, uh, uh, last Sunday, I, I asked several questions. Uh, one of the specific questions that I asked you is, is Jesus your king? And what I mean by that is not... Is he the king? We know he is the king. And as a follower of Christ, we acknowledge him as king. But when I ask, uh, is Jesus your king? I'm asking, are you submitting yourself to his leadership in your life? Are you saying, are you saying Jesus, what you say goes in my life? Is he your king? Is he ruling your every day? And so when we get here today, uh, we, need to, we need to allow Jesus to evaluate our life and show us the things that are blocking our intimacy with God. As he evaluates you, what does he see? What are the tables that you've set up that block you from the presence of God? Those tables may be good things, not necessarily bad things. They may be good things. I think fishing is a great thing. 
Don't you, don't you think fishing is awesome? Fishing is awesome until it becomes a barrier between me and intimacy with God. I, 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 you know, I, 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 just, I just love, 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 love coffee. I think coffee's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. Some of y'all may think it's a bad thing, but y'all need to be reformed. I think coffee's a great thing. Coffee's a great thing until it becomes a barrier between intimacy with God, like today. Now, let's just be honest. It, it, it's been a long day. I mean, I lost an hour of sleep last night. So instead of getting up here at 3 o'clock, it was 2 o'clock. See what I'm saying? I'm tired. But if the only way I can get jazzed up enough to worship God is to drink a cup of coffee, then coffee is a barrier between me and intimacy with God. We need to evaluate what are the things that have blocked us. Now, those are some good things, not bad things, but then there are some bad things that we need to deal with. There's sin. You know, you and I have sin. I I think I talk about this enough. I I have sin in my life. And there, there are multitudes of tables that I've erected that are sinful against God. And they block. What's the sin in your life that keeps you from being intimate with God? Finances. Let's talk about money for a second. Bottom line, money becomes a barrier between me and God and how I handle money and the fact that I have no more coffee. The way I I handle money. If I handle money poorly as as a poor steward of the resources that God has given me, it becomes sinful for me, and that becomes a barrier between me and God. About relationships. If I am in a relationship, but, but in that relationship in a way that's dishonoring to God, it becomes a barrier. It's sinful. It becomes a barrier between me and God. What about my attitude? There are certain attitudes that we have that are, that are contrary to the attitude of Christ. Bitterness in my heart toward others. That's, that becomes a sin in my life that, that I hold on to, and it, it becomes a, a, a table that I've erected between me and intimacy with God. Pride. And really, it comes down to pride for me. And, and, and really, it, it, I make a beeline to pride because pride is huge for me. Today's been a day of great humility for me, uh, humiliation in a lot of ways. But, but pride is that, that centerpiece. That's that center table. That's the, that's the table that, that blocks all others, right? And pride is where I uh, exalt myself and say I'm more important than anything or anyone, even God. That's pride. And pride becomes that big table that keeps me from experiencing intimacy with God. What about you? What is the table in your life? And Jesus has already evaluated, and, and if you've spent any time with him, he said, hey, this is your table. So when, when we begin to understand that there are tables in our life or uh, things in our life that, that, that block intimacy with God, then the second thing is we need to let Jesus overturn the tables of our life. There, there are obstacles that keep us from intimacy with God. And secondly, Jesus is going to turn over those tables. Now, the way Jesus turns over tables can be soft or it can be hard, depending on how well we want to hold on to, how much we want to hold on to those tables. 
for uh, his entrance into the temple in this passage says that, that he didn't even, I mean, he didn't even talk about it. He just went in and he started busting stuff up. And the reason he started busting stuff up is because they had had 300, 500 years to reform, to adjust. They had three to 500 years of, of, of prophets teaching them this is what God expects, this is what God requires, this is what God desires. They had 300, 500 years. They had ancient scrolls of God's will written down for them. They had chief priests and scribes and Pharisees who had, who had written down all the intricacies of this law, and still they were missing it. They had plenty of warning. They had plenty of opportunity to adjust, and yet in pride they refused to adjust. So when Jesus gets to the temple, this very last visit that he makes to the temple because he's about to be killed, this very last visit to the temple, he wants to show them that he's going to with a loving hand of divine discipline, bust up the tables. He said, hey, listen, uh, these tables are blocking intimacy with God. So Jesus is going to turn them over. Now, when you and I look at our lives and we allow Jesus to identify those tables in our life, he will turn over those tables, but those tables can be turned over easily or more painfully. I've had it both in my life, haven't you? I mean, I've, I've had it both ways. I've, I've had it easy. And Jesus says, Eric, this is a table in your life. And I say, yes, Jesus, I see that. So immediately I confess it as sin, I repent of it, and I get rid of that table. That's soft. That's easy. Jesus says the word, I obey the word, and that's it. When I was in college, I, was, um, I, I loved to read. I loved to read tons and tons of stuff. But some of my favorite authors when I was uh, 18, 19, 20 years old uh, were uh, Stephen King and Robert Ludlum. Loved both of them. Tom Clancy later on. Jeffrey Archer, if you've ever read that. So I, I love all that. And I've read, I've read, I up to that point had read everything Stephen King had written, everything Robert Ludlum had written, everything that uh, Tom Clancy had written. And I had, these, I had these boxes filled with those paperback novels. Now, th- there's nothing wrong with those books until I realized that those books were shaping the way I viewed my life. They became instruments for sin in my life. You might say how that happens. Well, if you have a good imagination, you can think through stuff, it happens. And so I had to make a choice. The minute that God identified those books as tables that needed to be overturned, I could say, yes, I'll overturn those tables, or I could say no. And the only reason I use this example is because this is one of the few times when I immediately said yes. I realized what I was doing with those books, and so I took the big boxes, and I went out to the trash can, big dumpster, and I threw them all in the dumpster. And I went to the bookstore, and I started getting other books. Replaced them. So that's when I started reading Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and um, uh, some of the more classic writers. Um, and and it, it, so it became an easy, it was an easy transition for me. Jesus said, you need to get rid of this. I said, okay, and I did. But then there have been other times in my life where Jesus said, you need to get rid of this. And I said, no. Y'all ever been there? And Jesus said, you need to get rid of this. And I say, no. 
and Jesus will be patient, and he'll give me some time to get rid of that, and I'll say no. Then he'll come back, and he'll say, Eric, I told you you need to get rid of this, and I said no. Give me a little more time. Uh, I was uh, a little boy uh, in Williamsburg, Kentucky. And Williamsburg, Kentucky is a small town, about 5,000 population when I lived there. And uh, I could go down to the corner store um, and walk down is downtown square, go down to the corner store, and I could buy a pack of Red Man chewing tobacco or Beech Nut or Levi Garrett. But my favorite was Reynolds Natural Leaf Plug Tobacco. So I, and now this is as an eight-year-old. And I'd go down to the corner store, I'd go down, pop down my, my 50 cents and buy that pack of tobacco. And they, every now and then, say, why are you getting this? I'm getting it for my dad. My dad. Yeah. And I say, okay. And I'd take that pack of tobacco and I'd chew almost all of it before I got home. I, I, I loved it. I loved it. Well, as I was chewing tobacco as an 8-year-old, and then a 9-year-old, and then a 12-year-old, and then a 15-year-old, I realized at some point in time in that journey that God had been telling me to put that stuff down. You need to stop. Well, it, it was not very complicated. My mom said, don't do that anymore, and I continued to do it. Now, as, as a 10-year-old, that's disobedient, so immediately I know that's a table in my life that I need to get rid of. And I said, no. In fact, I started graduating. I, I stopped chewing the red man and the beech nut and the Reynolds natural. Although Reynolds naturally is pretty about as strong as you can get. I mean, that's some pretty rancid stuff. Um, but I graduated to, to um, Skoll. Skoll, brother. Because Herschel Walker liked it. No, 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 no. Uh, 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 who was the guy who played for the Houston Oilers? Uh, Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell like so. Just a pinch between the cheek and gum gives you full tobacco flavor. Skull, brother. So I started chewing, dipping skull. And about that time, I, I, I heard again, you know, I need to put that stuff away. And I said no. I graduated from skull to Copenhagen snuff. Get some Copenhagen snuff. Baby. God said, you need to stop. I said, no. Through a course of events, though, after 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, 16 years old, by the time I was 16 or 17, Jesus brought the hammer down. Through a course of events, and you might say, right, he's going to bring the hammer down about, it wasn't about the tobacco, it was about my pride. It was about me saying no. And the discipline came hard and it came heavy. And I was shattered in a lot of ways. That's a silly example, it's a simple example. It gets more serious and more complicated the older we get, doesn't it? I mean, it gets, it gets more serious and more complicated. The older you get, the more painful it becomes. The more prideful we are, the more painful it becomes when Jesus has to bring the hammer down on us. But Jesus is going to turn over those tables. Now, what we have to do 
is Jesus identifies that there are obstacles between us and intimacy with God. And Jesus says, I'm going to turn over those tables in your life. Um, But we need to understand why. See, there's a purpose for him overturning those tables, even as painful as it is. See, the purpose for Jesus overturning tables is for us to have intimacy with God and honor God with our lives. That's a long number three, but that's number three. The purpose for Jesus overturning the tables in our life is so that we might have intimacy with God and honor God with our lives. And Jesus wanted the people, the pilgrims, to pass into the presence of God and have freedom of worship so that they might honor God with their everyday life. That's why he said, he was quoting Isaiah, and Isaiah, God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, what is prayer? It's not that you go through prayer all the time. It's, it, it's symbolic of the intimacy with God. It's, a, it, it's that picture of one-to-one conversation. You know, prayer is not some religious ritual that we go through. Prayer is intimately talking with God and He talking with us. My house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. You turned it into something that it's not. And that's what we do with our lives. Every time we say no to God, every time we say, no, I'm going to hold on to this table. I'm not going to let you overturn it. I'm going to keep hold of it. Every time we do that, we rob God of honor and we rob ourselves of intimacy with him. And so Jesus, in his redemptive love, in his rescuing love, he's going to come and he's going to do the business for us. And it's going to be painful. It's like ripping stuff out. Have you ever had your hair ripped out? Ain't nothing fun about that, right? I mean, that, that is not, I'm talking about chunks. I'm not talking about a little... Pfft. Some of you ladies go get your eyebrows waxed. That's one thing. What about getting them plucked? I have, I have hair. And uh, Maggie, my third daughter, who just turned 15, she decided that that hair needed to go. So I was napping on the couch... And she had wax, that hot wax stuff. And I was napping, and I realized there's something going on. I look, and she has the hot wax, and she has done the little thingy. And right about the time I open my eyes, she goes, Rump! Oh, now that is pain. I, I do not, and, and, and uh, that is pain. That is, un, that is ungodly pain. You know, sometimes for us, for us to return to that place of intimacy with God, Jesus is going to have to rip some stuff out. It's a lot better if we don't get to the point where he has to do the ripping and the tearing. It's a lot better if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord and, and, and return to that place of intimacy. If we will actually live our lives as if we are that house of prayer, of in, intimacy with God then we will live our lives for his honor. But make no mistake, Jesus is in the business of preparing us for heaven. That's what this journey is about. It's, it's preparation for heaven, and he is going to get us ready for heaven. And part of that journey, if we are going to be so boastful, so prideful, so rebellious as followers of Christ, so much so that Jesus will say, you're our king, but I'm not going to do what you say. We get to that place, Jesus is going to get us ready for heaven, and he's going to send us there one. And to get us ready, sometimes that means he's got to do some ripping and tearing. He's got to, he's got to come in and he's got to turn over the tables. 
so we might experience intimacy with God and live for his honor. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever it is, do everything for the glory of God. As we live our lives today, we need to understand that, that our lives are defined by how we bring God honor and glory. And the things we think, the things we say, the people with whom we relate, everything is designed for us to bring God glory. And if we are living our lives in such a way that we are not bringing God honor and glory, then there is a table somewhere that needs to be overturned. And if we will submit ourselves to Christ's evaluation, he will help us overturn that table. But if we will not submit, eventually he will rip it out. But Jesus is going to guard God's glory regardless in our lives. So this morning as we, as we close up, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Set your gaze upon Jesus as the king. Recognize those obstacles in your life that keep you from honoring God and experiencing intimacy with him. Recognize what those are. Let Jesus overturn those tables today. Submit yourself to that work of rescuing love that Jesus desires to do in those things. And the, the key point of, of allowing him to overturn tables is for us to say, yes, Jesus, I see this as sin or something that I need to get rid of in my life. Jesus, I recognize that. So I confess that before you and I turn from it today. Now help me keep that table overturned in my life every day. And we will experience intimacy with God and we will live for his honor and fame. And when we live for God's honor and fame day by day by day, make no mistake, we live a life filled with contentment and satisfaction because we're living life the way we were created to live it. Everything in us is made to honor and glorify God. So today, as we get ready, next week we're going to have communion together and, and we're preparing our hearts for that. This week, allow Jesus to show you tables in your life that need to be overturned. Submit yourself to his leadership and his evaluation. Let him do that wondrous work in your life so that you might experience intimacy with God and live for God's honor and fame.